0: Lindsay Rowland. Today we are continuing the Austin Stump series with an interview with his parents John and Pamela Stump. Austin Stump suspiciously died by suicide and there are still so many lingering questions surrounding his death. John and and Pamela welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about your guys' background, and I know that um, John worked for the, or works for the fire department. Let's talk a little bit about you guys to start this.
1: Basically, we're kind of a typical family. I stayed home and raised our children. John worked and still does work in the fire department. We raised eight children, so we had our two biological kids, and then we had six that were adopted. Life was never dull. There was always something going on and always something to do. And that was pretty much the way it's been for 21 years.
0: Okay. And then John, can you shed some light on your career with the
2: fire department? Uh, Well, like Pam said, I got, when we first got together and I met when I was with her mom and her mom sat there and said, before I married her, I had to have a career. So
0: woman. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: So I was looking at a few things, and I thought about being a police officer, and she said no, too many people get sh- get shot. I looked at going into the military, and that just wasn't the path. So I decided to go into the fire service, and I went through EMT school at nights and worked during the day. And after her mom passed away, we I decided to go to fire school full time, got it knocked out of it, and was luckily hired right out of the. Right out of fire school, out of another county close to us. And I worked out there for five and a half years. I absolutely loved it. And then when the fire department close to us started, I got ready to hire. I applied and got picked up. And that's where I've been for going on 20, 21 years.
0: Okay. So I feel like there was some real, like, basic beginnings with Austin that he wanted to serve.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> austin was raised in a very gun-free zone my father was military my brother was military but i was determined that he was going to be the non-violent passive guy and it didn't quite work out that way (laughs) it was very apparent very early on that he was his own person everything he did he found a way to be the hero. It didn't matter what game they were playing, Chelsea could tell stories of him headbutting her off the trampoline and all kinds of things. He was always going to be the hero in the story. We knew early on that he wanted to serve. We knew that very early on with him. He absorbed knowledge, so he loved to read. And we would go to the grocery store, he was maybe five or six years old, and we would have an older gentleman, he used to bag the groceries at our, our neighborhood grocery store, And Austin would go up there and start talking to him about fighter planes in World War II. And this man's looking at me and he goes, he is so knowledgeable. And I said, I don't understand what he's talking about. I have no idea what this child was talking about. It was like he just connected to this older generation. We always say he was born in the wrong decade because he really just didn't fit the mold of of today's 20 year olds, extremely patriotic. It was either good or it was bad. There was no in between with him it was right or it was wrong. He wasn't in any way an arrogant person, but he was very true to what he believed. He he knew exactly what he supported. He knew exactly what he believed in. He knew exactly what he felt was the right thing. That's
0: awesome. And I want to like just fast forward it a little bit. We're going to, I want to start like a little bit from currently and then move backwards. So thank you for being here today. I know this cannot possibly be easy for you. And I spoke extensively with Chelsea last week or the week before. And I just want to hear where you guys are at like today. And we can go back and talk about the details. But I would just imagine you're in a very somber yet angry place. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. So please go ahead and tell me where you're at today.
1: I think we're just stuck. Nobody really knows how to process and how to move forward. You go through the shock, you go through the grief and the grief is still there, but now there's a lot of questions and a lot of anger. And you you look in the newspaper or you listen to the news and it's still happening. And you have this sense of frustration that not only could I not save my own child, I can't stop this from happening to anybody else's children. So it's a weird place because I don't think the grief ever goes away. I don't think we'll ever be at a point where we are past that or have worked through that. But right now, it's just this frustration of wanting answers and wanting change and not knowing how to get it.
0: So what are the things that you're questioning currently in your mind? Like I would imagine you're racing thoughts and what are you questioning about the case?
1: I think we question everything about it. Honestly, they've never been able to give us an exact day of death. They've never been able to give us a time of death. The last day that anyone spent with him, I believe is completely bogus. They will not answer our questions as to why his nightstand is covered in duct tape and his belongings on the nightstand are covered in duct tape. They will not answer our questions that pertain to the different text messages that we have and the different things that he had on his phone. They really, they gave us the reports and they stopped talking to us. That was
0: my next question is, is what is your relationship with the Army now? Do you have one? Do you speak with them?
1: No one speaks to us.
0: Okay. And is that because... I know you requested two different investigations and they both came back with the same response. Is that because you think that they just don't care anymore or is that because you believe that they are hiding something?
1: I believe they're hiding something and I believe they're afraid that if we talk to some of the other people that were in the platoon with him or some of his friends even from high school that were in the Ranger Battalion with him, I think they're afraid they're going to slip.
0: So we have been posting on social media, which with Chelsea's permission, we did post the photo from Austin's phone of the hazing. What are your thoughts on that photo? Because that photo is mind blowing.
1: When he texted me that photo, it said, look what I missed this weekend.
0: Oh, I I missed that
1: part. And I said, thank God, because he happened to be home that weekend when that all happened. But he had told me of other instances with balling guys up in duct tape and dropping them out in the woods and different things that they would do so it it really wasn't uncommon regardless Amazing. of what the what the army condones it was happening regularly and it still does
0: yeah i think it's interesting too because there's also like an undertone of I know he was waiting for, he had an injury and had come up profile and was waiting for a ranger slot. I think there's also an undertone of hazing, like maybe the new guy to the ranger battalion who isn't tabbed. And I know he was waiting for a date competing with somebody else. Do you think that played any role in it or?
1: I think when Austin got assigned to third bat, he told me he didn't want to be there. And I said, why? And he goes, there's just a lot of hazing that goes on in third bat. I don't really think they necessarily need a good reason. I feel like this is just part of the atmosphere in this particular battalion. And it's, you talk to these different veterans and things, and it's, oh, that's just a rite of passage almost. It's almost like it's commonplace and they, they don't see any big deal about it. It's nothing, you know, oh, well, I had to go through that. So you have to go
2: through that too. So. Basically, when they came down to talk to us about the report, I told the guys sitting there, I told him, I said, listen, I said, I understand a certain amount of razzing or if you want to mess with the, the new guys a little bit, I understand that. I've been in the fire service. I get it. But there is a point to where it goes too far, and I do believe that just that, just that over you're going to have that in there and I told him I said I don't blame him. and even Austin knew that and when it came back to after he got through Ranger and he got through Airborne him and a couple of the buddies they were they all wanted to stay together but the difference was is Austin under what Pam said he didn't really want to stay at 3rd battalion he wanted to go to either 1st or 2nd but and then when you know a handful of them got moved he was left out so that might have played a little bit of role in it to where he was like okay I'm gonna have to deal with what I what
0: I have to- so when talking about the different stories there there's a few examples that she gave that you were given a story by let's talk first about his peers that had you had a someone come over to the house and you had someone that stopped speaking to you so like how did the story evolve to bring up the suspicion that you currently have, and then I have too.
1: You have to go back to the, the day that all this happened. We had talked to Austin that Friday, and he was supposed to have been coming home that weekend. And he sent me a message and he said, the three day got canceled, I'm not coming home, but I'll be home for Labor Day. I said, okay, no big deal, we'll see. That Saturday, my husband was trying to call him and couldn't get through to him the whole day. And I said, he usually calls on Sunday, no big deal. And he called every Sunday, at least every Sunday. And um, so Sunday came and it was about two o'clock Sunday afternoon. And I said, did anybody hear from Austin? And everybody said, no, nobody's heard from him. I said, that's not right. I said, call him up and see what's going on. And his phone went right to voicemail, which never happened. This child's phone was like his life source. He That phone was never dead. The phone was never off ever it was never out of his hand in all honesty i think he slept with it so we couldn't get a hold of him that's really strange and as the hours went by i sent a text message to his one one private who was in dico with him and said hey where's austin you know i can't get a hold of him oh i don't know where he is i haven't seen him all day now this particular private would come back and forth he lived about 40 minutes away from where we lived so every weekend when the guys would drive, Austin would always drive him down. He didn't have a car. Austin was his chauffeur. They had a love-hate relationship because this particular private was nothing like my son. Austin was one of those people who would give you the shirt off his back. Even when he, his knee was injured and he was on crutches, he was still clearing the table for other privates and still helping them out. Always just a nice guy, always doing that. The southern private wasn't like that he was very self-absorbed so i had said to austin because they were both up at the top two for ranger school and i said well you're gonna have to start separating yourself from this guy and just show them who you are by yourself now austin that wasn't austin's thing he would bring this guy to the gun range with us and to show him his technique and work on how you know shooting and and he was not a competitor who would ever spite anyone else. He, he never was about beating them. It was just, if I'm the top, I'm the top, but it's not at anybody else's expense. So this particular soldier, nothing. I haven't seen him all day. No big deal. I said, okay. So as now we're getting to about five o'clock on, on Saturday or on Sunday, I'm sorry. And uh, I said to my husband, call his other buddy who was all, again in Ranger Battalion with him. So we called him and he goes, yeah, he goes, I haven't seen him all day. His car's in the parking lot, but I don't know where he is. And now I'm starting to get a little worried. So we get to about six, seven o'clock and I pull up his bank account. Cause I'm in charge of trying to make sense out of his bank account, which is punishment enough. I pull up his account and there have been no purchases made since Friday night. Now Austin was 20 years old a couple of truths about austin he never had cash as soon as he got paid he was broke the next day he ate every two to two and a half hours and his body consisted mostly of junk food and red bulls so i knew by looking all day saturday that he had made no purchases that something was wrong and i turned to my husband and i said he's dead said there's something's wrong. I said if he hasn't spent any money, this kid is not with us. This, this, this something's wrong. And he's, oh, don't say that, don't say that. So you just gave me the calling.
0: chills.
1: I, it's just a mom's gut. You knew something was wrong.
0: Right. So we
1: start calling. Now we start calling anybody. We start calling hospitals. We start calling the base police department. Anybody will answer the phone. We're calling. Everybody's answer is, oh, don't worry about it. We'll call you back in ten minutes. Okay, now we get to about 8.30 at night, and I go back to this private that had comes back and forth with him, and I said, listen, I need you to find him. He goes, don't worry about it, mom. It's not a big deal. I went and got the key. I'm going into his room now. I can hear the keys in the door. I can hear the door open, and the phone goes dead. Now now I'm panicking. Now we are beyond scared, because now something's wrong. Now, no one will talk to us. No one will call us back. No one will answer their phone. None of his friends, nobody. So we find the number to the ranger desk and my husband calls and the guy says, oh, give me 10 minutes and I'll call you back. 30, 35 minutes go by, we call the number again. And now this private is crying on the phone and he says, I can't tell you anything. And he hangs up the phone. Now I look at John and I said, he's gone something's happened. He's gone. Gosh, this is
0: heartbreaking. Um,
1: So that's Sunday night. And we, I think we fell asleep out of just utter exhaustion. And at 5.15 in the morning, our doorbell rings and there is a deputy and there is casualty assistant officer in his dress blues. And they are telling us that Austin has hung himself. Now, initially you're in such shock that you believe them. Uh, You honestly believe them. And they hit you with what type of coffin do you want? And what funeral home did you want them to come to? And you are in this almost like an out-of-body experience. If you don't even know what's coming out of your mouth, you're just in auto mode and you're just shocked. Everything about you is numb. Everything just stops. And at that moment, I couldn't even process what they were telling me, let alone question it. It's not until afterwards when we're sitting here talking amongst ourselves i'm like but he was supposed to come home this weekend he had made plans with his younger brother who was having a really hard time you know he's like oh we're gonna go we're gonna hang out and he had made promises to his siblings that he wouldn't have not kept that wasn't who he was he knew how important it was with them he knew that they needed that from him and he'd made plans with us for him to all of a sudden just do this, it just didn't It didn't add up. That weekend, over Labor Day weekend, we had a get together at the church we were at for his friends from high school, the other soldiers, anybody who he was in JROTC with, anybody who this hit as hard as it hit us. And we had this little get together because my fear was whatever was going on was going to continue and there would be more suicides. And I wanted them to all know, we don't blame you. There was nothing you missed. We didn't see anything either. Trying to let them know that we in no way held them responsible for anything that had happened. And at that meeting, one of the Rangers who Austin went to high school with presented my husband with a memory bracelet, this little Memorial bracelet with Austin's name on it and Rangers lead the way and his date of birth. And then it had his date of death as August 24th, 2019. And I didn't think of it, you know, at the moment, again, you're crying and it's so emotional and you don't really put much together. And uh, we got home and I looked at my husband and I said, why does it say the
2: 24th? He goes, we, they printed the wrong date on it. So I apologize. We'll get you the right one. So that was okay. Again, didn't think much about it at the moment. Hey, you know what? It's a clerical error.
1: One private that he commuted back and forth with, told us at this meeting that he had gone guitar shopping with Austin on Saturday. Now, Austin's a drum player. He's never played a guitar. I don't think he's ever held a guitar that I'm aware of. And Austin is also an impulse shopper. So had Austin gone guitar shopping, chances are Austin would have bought a guitar again, no purchases were made on Saturday, no drinks no lunch no dinner no snacks no nothing was purchased and this child did not go more than literally two two and a half hours without at least so that kind of struck me as odd didn't really think a whole lot of it and he said Sunday as our kind of rest day his roommate was deployed so it was just him I didn't think anything of it he said Saturday night I saw him he got mad at me which was not uncommon And he went and helped another soldier move a futon and went to bed. Now, the Army had told me at that point that they have an activity tracker that all of the soldiers have on their phone tracking their movement and that type of thing. The last activity that was tracked by Austin was at 7 p.m. on Saturday night. Now, that means Austin did not move or pick up his phone after 7 p.m. on Saturday night. Austin didn't use the bathroom without the phone. So Austin's never been in bed at seven o'clock at night since he was an infant. I, I don't know why he would be off his phone and in bed at seven o'clock on a Saturday night. That seems very strange to me. We go on this and then we get to you know, the celebration of life and they send down, the battalion comes down, they do the 21 gun salute, literally did not even come into the reception hall to say goodbye to the family. Very few of them did, and then they were loaded on a bus and taken back, on a van and taken back to the airport. We didn't get to speak to anyone. We didn't get to really talk to anybody. They just shuffled them out, and they were gone. So about that time, we had been flown in September up to the to Fort Benning to be part of the memorial service there on base for the Ranger Battalion. And we had all of these different commanders and all these different sergeants and things. Hey, this is my number. If you need anything, contact me. Don't hesitate to text me. All this different stuff. Everybody was, you're always a ranger family. You're welcome here anytime. Oh, it was, you believe it it again.
0: It was, I call it propaganda,
1: but yeah. But at the time you thought, oh my gosh, here my kid committed suicide and you're not ashamed of him. You're not embarrassed of him. You're still welcoming to us. You really You just bought it. You thought, oh my gosh, this is so amazing that they're so kind to us. By November, we had started reaching out because the one sergeant had said he was gonna get shirts for the siblings and gifts for the kids because they were so proud of their brother being a ranger and he wanted to make sure they had hoodies and all this different stuff. Well, come November, we can't get in touch with anybody. None of the phone numbers work that we've been given. No one contacts us back. Everybody's disappeared. And I said, okay, then we get to Christmas time. And again, nobody calls, nobody sends messages, nobody does anything.
0: No Ranger yeah. Battalion Christmas card.
1: Yeah, no, nope, nothing like that. So we happened to take our kids and go to an animal preserve about 40 minutes south of us. And we happened to coincidentally bump into this private that Austin always commuted with. And he says, oh, what are you guys doing here? Oh, look at, oh, I was going to come by the house. I just didn't get around to it. Now, this is supposedly Austin's best buddy, okay? And he is so uncomfortable. He can't get away from us fast enough. And everybody can, everybody senses it. And he says, yeah, he goes, he goes I was there the whole day with the roommate. We were playing video games and knocking on Austin's door and he wouldn't come out. And I said, wait a minute. I thought his roommate was deployed. Oh no, he was there with his girlfriend and we were all playing video games. And I looked at my daughter and looked at my husband and didn't really say anything. And then all of a sudden he had to go, he had to leave. And I looked at them and I said, that story has changed. I said, that's not the story that he gave me. That was when the suspicions started. That was when we started questioning and looking back and saying, okay, wait a minute, something's not adding up here. Now, as of December, we still don't have any reports from Ranger Battalion. We have nothing.
2: With everything that Pam was talking about, the other guy that went through Ranger School prior to Austin, actually, Austin talked him into joining JROTC, and he actually got into the Army prior to Austin. There's a lot... There's a lot of the backstory that Chelsea missed out with with when they came down to April and talked to us about why they feel like that he did this. It, It didn't add up. But either way, though, the other gentleman that I talked to that was his friend and supposedly close friend and everything else, I even talked to him afterwards and I told him, I said, listen, I said, I need some answers. I said, cause now we have questions. I said, I'm questioning this. I'm questioning that I'm looking at this. And he goes, okay. He goes, let me look into it. Let me look into this. Let me, let me ask some questions and everything. He goes, and I'll give you a call back. And I said, and I told him, I said, listen, I said, I don't want you to get in trouble by snooping around. He goes, they're not going to mess with me. He said, they're not going to say anything. He goes, I'll figure it out. I haven't heard from him in over a year. And I've actually texted him one other time prior to that and asked him, hey, just touch and base, see where you are, see and everything else. And again, nothing. So very interesting.
0: So you felt like he just didn't, like there was a story, there was a story and then there was another story and he just wasn't comfortable sharing the truth with you or just he, he was intimidated by somebody perhaps. Personally, what
2: I think has happened is that we asked the wrong questions. We didn't just accept it. And I think that is, I think that's part of it. When I think that there is, look, there, there is a certain, you never want to think of the army, the military or anything, it's like with the fire department. You don't want to believe that these guys make any mistakes. You don't want to believe that there's bad guys. However, it it doesn't matter whether it's fire department, police department, emergency medical service, whatever. There are a certain percentage that do the wrong thing. And then there's the majority of the guys are good. And then there's, those other ones that make the good guys look bad. And if they can cover it up or not talk about it, then that's what they're going to do. And, When they gave us that report in April, I I sat there and I told him, I said, your timeline doesn't add up. I said, and what you're telling me is is the reasons why? I said, they don't make sense. When I told him what Austin had been through, two years after high school, this kid had to go through to try to get into the military. You're going to tell me that a bum knee that was cleared? Oh, this is why he did it? And the girl that he had been talking to, they had worked with for almost over a year that they were still friends. That was, no, I'm sorry. I disagree with you.
0: Yeah, and like Chelsea said, the girlfriend has been very vocal in that they had a decent relationship but had maybe decided not to continue it at the moment. But it wasn't a sense, it wasn't like a sense of pain for Austin. It wasn't an issue at the moment, right? That's what I gathered.
1: Austin was extremely uncomfortable around girls. This child had five sisters. He was very rightfully so afraid of women. He had seen <laughs> he had seen the mood swings. He knew what to run away from. Or like, disrespectful. We'll call it respectful, right? Yeah, he did not he was not pursuing relationships. Okay, this particular girl, she's still a very dear friend with our family. They had worked together. They were friends. She had been dating someone else for the majority of the time he knew. They talked about when she broke up with that guy, hey, what would you think about going out? She was going back to school. He was in Georgia. They're like, this really isn't a good time. They were still friends. They were still buddies. He and I had talked about it and he's, you know what, mom, I really don't want a relationship if I'm gonna be deployed for six to eight months at a time. And I said, it's not fair. And it really isn't. He knew from the 24 hours his dad was on shift, how hard it was for just that, just for a day, let alone six months. That's a hard life for a wife. And he would talk about, this isn't where I want to go right now. It's not what I'm looking for. And we both talked about it a lot. We joked about it and respected him for it and said, you know, Hey, I agree a hundred percent, that's a really mature way to, to look at things. Like I said, they were still friends. He was texting her and she's still friends with our family. Now we hear from her more than we do anybody from the army. She's still close to our family. And, and yeah. then again, they used the knee and the knee was cleared.
0: Well, and on to your point that Austin had a huge like case load in his own life, like he just come off profile, mm-hmm. he had had an exercise, a field exercise. And then of course, like we talked about was looking at a deployment. And so that's heavy. And then also going to ranger school, because I would imagine that they were going to send him to ranger school prior to the deployment. So yeah, he had a heavy, heavy life that he needed to focus on. And maybe well, a girlfriend, just, it just wasn't the right time. But it sounds no. like they still had a friendship.
1: Absolutely. And normally I think the plan was to deploy him. And then when he came back, based on the performance and during the deployment was then decide who was going to ranger school because that is a long commitment. Okay. Um, so he was going to deploy first. And then I, they were talking about he and this other prior, prior private were neck and neck for that, as far as through the battalion. Everybody that, that I've talked to, because when they were telling me that he didn't feel he was cut out for the ranger battalion with his knee and all this stuff that he was questioning if he could perform at that high level. And I said, okay, well, I said that I would like to have copies of the failed PT tests or any write-ups or disciplinary that had to have taken place because as a mom in my head, if you don't feel you can measure up, it's because you're not measuring up, you're coming in last place, you're bringing down the team. And they told me, oh, we can't give you that because it doesn't exist. I said, okay. So my son who was going neck and neck in shooting competitions with a sniper who had been in battalion for over a year, he was never below the top two in PT tests. He was never disciplined except for this one incident at this mission after he came off profile with this belt he had never even so much as been talked to. But now he decides that he can't perform. And it's to the level that suicide is his only way out. So this child who's known nothing but struggle, nothing came easy to him. Nothing came easy to him from getting from enlisting and nothing. You know, we would have other guys who would go up, they'd enlist, they'd have a ship date, and they'd be gone. And Austin couldn't even get through MEPS because he had a hernia, or because he whatever it may be. He needed a waiver, all these different things that he constantly met setbacks and he overcame every one of them. So how can there be no record of a setback that would have caused him to kill himself?
0: Well, Chelsea had talked about, so what was the deal with the belt? Like, I know he had asked you guys to help him fund the belt after the training exercise so he could train on it. And I'm not exactly sure what we're talking about here, but what, what, what was I, yeah, that about?
1: I don't honestly know. I know that it was a certain kind of belt. I'm guessing it's like a, almost like a rigging belt that they had to put on for their harnesses and stuff. Yeah. And he had me look it up on eBay. Actually, I can still pull it up because it's still on here. And he wanted me to get him this belt. It was like a $400 belt. And I said, buddy, I, I can't do that right now. You know, and of course, in typical Austin fashion, he had no money to his name. So that wasn't anything unusual. But um, I told him, I said, you know, I I can't do that. And he had apparently hadn't put this belt on correctly. And this sergeant got on to him. Okay, it is a Rowan tactic Shudo belt, S-H-U-T-O is the kind of belt this is, and it's something that he needed for this particular mission, and he did not know how to put this belt on, and this sergeant just would not stop writing him about this, to the point that even when they came back from the mission, Austin said, this guy still won't let this thing drop. And I said, well, how, you know, you've never had one of these. How are you supposed to know how to put this thing on? It's not something that they teach you. What do you want me to do? And, um, I know he goes, he's just being a jerk about it. So this same sergeant on Austin's cell phone, probably that during the week that he, his last week there sends him a text and it says, how's your face? And I said to my husband, I said, that explains why he didn't come home that weekend, because if he would have had a black eye or something, I probably would have lost my mind. I'm sorry, but there is still that mama bear, no matter how old this kid was, you're not going to be pounding on my kid for something that he had no way of knowing how to do. So this particular sergeant, we went through his phone pretty carefully, and there are some extremely inappropriate messages things that make reference to another one of the privates being raped, just very tacky things. So when they came to do their second 15-6 investigation, I gave this investigator who coincidentally worked for the Ranger Battalion, which is great. I gave him all the information that we had. And now, you know, these are the text messages and these are the pictures and everything that we had found on this phone that hadn't been wiped clean. And the next thing I know, this particular Sergeant has been kicked out of the Ranger Battalion and sent to another base. And I said, what happened? Why this was there something, did you find some evidence that something happened? Oh no, he came to the mess hall unshaven. Now, if you know anything about the Ranger Battalion, they do not follow the regulations of big army. They have facial hair. They're never in uniform. They don't follow any of the rules. They're the bad boys on the base. So to tell me that you have kicked a sergeant out of the battalion for not shaving is the biggest load of garbage I've ever heard in my life. So this sergeant gets sent to Fort Bragg. Everybody else who was anyway involved higher up or anything, to my knowledge, has all been moved. Now I've never been in the military, but to me, if you are so concerned about the mental health of your battalion, why would you move everybody to where they're at a new base with new people, new higher ups? Why wouldn't you try to give them some type of counseling that you claim is so readily available to everybody in the service, which it's not, that's a complete joke, you scatter them seems strange to me too
0: you have to wonder if it wasn't like a silencing mechanism exactly just we we're gonna move you now or maybe they were disciplined internally and it just wasn't put on paper or you weren't notified and now we know you have something to do with this so now we're gonna move you but that kind of leads into my next question is I feel like this podcast we're having we're looking for those people those soldiers and it has been a significant amount of time now since Austin died. And you have to wonder, like, are those soldiers willing to talk? And I'll let you guys talk on that. We're hoping to put out this story that somebody does come forward. What would you like to say to somebody that is out there listening to this? Because if we've done a significant amount of social media, so mm-hmm. if you could talk to somebody that has answers for you, what would you say
1: to them? I think when you have someone that you love, die by suicide. You take that on and and you carry this weight of guilt and you wonder, what did I miss? What could I have done? If I would have just reached out, if I just would have done this. So you beat yourself up about it. And it's not just his father or myself, but all of the siblings, everybody is just left wondering how could I have prevented this from happening? The truth of it is, Austin's gone. We can't get him back. There's nothing I can do. And there's nothing they're gonna say to me that's gonna change that. By telling me the truth of what happened, you're taking the guilt off of my shoulders, you're taking it off my husband, you're taking it off my girls. You're letting us mourn our son without all the guilt. I really would like to be there because right now, No matter the questions that I have, it will always be this, what if he did this? What if he really saw no other way out until I know the truth, I can't put that to rest. I just want to know what happened. I I just want the truth. I just want to know if something got out of hand, if somebody wanted to shut him up because he was going to, you know, tell on them or, or I don't know what it could have been. It doesn't matter. it it just doesn't matter anymore i just want to know what happened to my son And, and i feel like they owe that to me you know i feel like all of the two years of battling to get him into the military they wanted to make sure he was perfect i had to produce report cards and we had to get letters from his physicians and we had to bend over backwards for this kid to get into the military because they wanted to make sure he was in perfect condition and then you don't even bother to tell me the truth about what happened to him i told you the truth about who he was why don't you owe me that same truth i
0: think that's a beautiful statement. I. Don't even know what I could add to that. I think that's beautiful. I think that's, I think that you're completely right. Like they do, they owe you that. And it it will give you a peace of mind because I think we both know he did not kill himself.
1: Oh no, I I don't believe he did.
0: And I I think that you and I will both agree that we're not looking to crucify or hang anybody for this. And we don't even care if it's anonymous. We would just like to know. Yeah,
1: I just want to know what happened. That's it. I'm not looking to end anyone's career. I'm not looking to put anybody in jail. That's not what I'm looking for. And I know that's not what Austin would have wanted either. Austin was a very forgiving soul. And I know that he's probably upset with me for even pushing it as far as I have, but for my own peace of mind and for my own, my daughter's well being and their mental health, I want them to know that we didn't fail him and he didn't give up, that that wasn't his nature. And that was part of what made him such a huge figure in their lives. He was their their hero. This was the kid who, he was the poster child for perseverance. Nothing was going to get him down. Nothing was going to stop him from achieving his dreams. And he was right where he wanted to be. This was exactly where he wanted to be.
0: Yeah, I've seen articles where you talk about how does somebody who's exactly where they want to be commit suicide? It just yeah. doesn't add up. And he
1: could not wait for this deployment. He could not wait. This is a child who grew up with a dad as a firefighter, grew up in the 9-11 era. He was going to right the wrongs. He was going to protect his country. He was going to defend all of those people who lost their lives on that horrible day. And that was his mission. That was his goal. And it wasn't a joke to him. He took it very seriously. But he was going to be right there and he was going to he was going to end all of the fear that any American had. He was going to put that to rest for him.
0: Well, and it's, was interesting. well it's interesting because I was talking to your husband and I was just telling him I wanted to give him a little heads up that my podcast is very Republican.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and John was like, Austin would be sick if he saw where we were at today with the Patriots and all those things. So it was just interesting to hear that if Austin was here today to see this, he would be upset about it. So I guess that was the go ahead that like, it's okay for you
1: guys to be in a Republican podcast.
0: It's not always like the big, it's not, we're not always popular right now, but we do tell the truth.
1: Yeah, he, he was a true patriot. That was his, his thing. I don't know how he would have ever made it through quarantine, though. I really don't, because he wouldn't have been able to go to get his monsters at the Quickie Mart. And he, he was not a person who enjoyed being by himself, even though he could be in a room with other people and not be interacting with them. He, he was fine with that, but he did not like just sitting by himself. He was never a sit still, do nothing kind of kid. That just wasn't who he was. He was always on the move. Always doing something.
0: Um, I do have one last question for you guys. If you could go back in time and do things differently while the investigation was going on with the Army, what what would you do differently?
1: Oh, geez. Let's see. I would have never let Fort Benning do the autopsy. I would have never had him cremated. What else? I would have never given them all my information.
2: I think I would have asked them why the CID they only talked to me on the phone. Ironically enough, i come to find out that they literally sent people down to talk to the girl that lives 20 minutes away, but they couldn't even stop by and talk to the parents. The girlfriend? Yeah. 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 They literally came down and talked to her, but yet and we live 20 minutes away. calls. that's the only way I communicated with anybody up until when they came down to present the thing. So it's, Looking back, a lot of that just no. Send him here. I want a I want a different autopsy. I want someone else other than. Supposedly, I was. My understanding is the autopsy was done in Dover, but I, I don't see how that's possible. And they told me when we first started questioning, they they were asking me, did the the Georgia. State police or the Georgia field FBI agent, did they get involved? And I'm like, no, because it was on the military base. He goes, they should have. I'm like, I, 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 we didn't know anything about that. Because, again, like Pam said before, they hit you a day and a half after. afterwards as this is what his wish is. How do you want him to come and where? And there you go. You have no time. I see them in the medical field too. There, there is that time timeline so
0: and john i do want to ask you though how does being with the fire department how did that sort of open your
2: thinking on this case how do you think that affected your skepticism again where i started looking into it was was i started questioning the nine one one call and what was said and then what did they do when they got on scene because they literally we were literally told when they came down to sit down that someone started cpr they, the I forget whether it was a sergeant, corporal I, I have no idea who he was. I, I don't remember to be honest with you, but he said, he told me, he goes, yeah, they started CPR and they put the AED on and, and they did all this. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, I've been on responded to deaths and you walk in and if it's an obvious DOA, the only thing that we do in the medical field is to confirm is, is we put the leads from the monitor on to confirm that the patient is asystole. You have in our protocols certain things that are obvious DOA and you just, a lot of it, you will confirm. Now, if he was down as long as they say he was, there was no need to even do that part of it. But supposedly somebody started the CPR. But again, there's nothing written in that. And what really bugs me is that Nowhere in this autopsy do they even give an estimate of a downtime. 12 hours, 24 hours. We've you've seen this before to where the, the medical field they can sit there and tell you that this patient has been dead for 24 hours or 40 hours. Nowhere in there does this even say this. So that's where I started really questioning. When I started reading through that and then reading through the autopsy, and I'm like There's questions. The belt, I was just reading it again today. The belt is supposedly a 25 and a quarter inches long with 14 and a half, I think 14 and a half inches circumference around his neck. Now, if that is the case, how is he sitting down on the floor? That means that bar is literally what? Less than two feet from the ground? I think the bars in these uh, closets are hanging up a little bit higher than that. So that's what it was.
1: Austin's waist was a 30 inch waist.
2: Yeah. 25 and a quarter inch belt.
1: And then one report says it was a necktie. Another report says it was a belt. There's so many questions. Everything was moved out of his closet, which he had, coincidentally, he had just sent me a video of his room. And he had shown me the closet because we had sent him all kinds of stuff. And he had a dresser and he had two big tote boxes in the closet. And uh, there's one part in the investigation where this same particular private who drove back and forth with Austin tells them, oh, my, my fingerprints might be on those tote boxes. Cause I had to look over them to see the body. No, you didn't not by the way the diagrams written out in this room.
0: And why would you offer that information?
1: Yeah. A little bit guilty there. I do believe that this particular private knows something. When we asked for the second 15-6 report, because we did not believe, we didn't agree with the first one. They said, okay, we'll open up another investigation. I got a panicked phone call from this private. Now, this is in May. This is the first time I've talked to him since December when we bumped into him. And he's, I just got questioned and why are they reopening this case and what's going on? And I just played dumb and said, I really don't know. I just don't have a lot of information. And he goes, myself and another private, as soon as this travel ban's lifted, we want to come down and help you around the house. And I thought, I said, what? And he goes, I know that Austin would come down on the weekends and help you guys out with stuff. Now, Austin loved the kid to death. Greatest kid you'll ever meet in your life. Not a helping kind of kid. This was not a child who came home on the weekends and helped do laundry or helped clean up. This was not. My son was a piglet. So it was weird that he would, it felt almost like a penance. I'm, I'm going to come down and I'm going to help you around the house so that I can sleep better at night for feeling. And I got off the phone with him and I looked at John and I said, So what, he's going to come and mow the grass and that's going to make up for killing my kid? It was such a ridiculous phone call. Haven't heard from him since and never come down. But again, it was just these weird things that you started questioning. Why would you do that? He doesn't send me a message on Christmas. He doesn't send me a message on Austin's birthday or the anniversary of his death, which the Ranger Battalion told me they would have a ceremony for. They told me they would have on his birthday and whatever I wanted done, they would do. I don't know if that happens, but nobody remembers his birthday and nobody remembers the anniversary of his death. It feels like nobody remembers him. Everyone well, I, know,
0: I also wanted to go back to what you were talking about. So we had posted and you saw this. We posted the hazing photo right. on Facebook and, and LinkedIn, and there was some questions, very relevant. And I, I encourage comments because that's how we will find answers. So there was a question about the hazing photo that it was horseplay or it was private ranger battalion just doing some sort of combative stuff. And so I have had written out to the person that wrote that just because I want to see where they're coming from. I was like, okay, well, let's, take a, let's take a look at the photo. So there are cages in the background that are not in barracks rooms. I know as company commander, they may be in the motor pool. They may be in the company area near the arms room because they're arms room cages. So let's talk that so that, so it was not in the barracks room.
1: Uh-huh.
0: We'll just say that. And then they were in PTs before, after, during PT. And then if you actually look at the photos, which I'm sure you've spent hours looking at them is that the, the gentleman holding down the victim, they're older. They have, right. They're balding, so let's say they're in the like late thirties, forties. Okay. It also looks like it's very well planned out. Everybody has their role, right, right. And, and, and then, of course, there's like the obvious, like duct tape in the left hand corner, which you can't like not see. And I like I wrote that up, but I didn't get a response. But I just think it's interesting that that this person brought up that it was just like horseplay in the barracks, and it's like, I don't really think that's what was going on there. and, and again, we both have said. We're not trying to nail you to the ground. We just right. want to know what happened. But if you look at that photo, like it, it looks like something where everybody knows where they're maneuvering, right. what position right. they're in and what they're doing. So very well thought out. I don't believe it was barracks play. No, um, I
1: believe that was in what they called the cage. Because when you went into the different building, each group had basically like a chain linked off area, which is where they kept all their lockers and all of their gear. That's exactly what that cage looks like because you can see the
0: the duffel bags sprayed in
1: the back where they put their
0: last four.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly what it looked like was the Mortarman cage because there's one for the snipers, there's one for the mortars. And that's literally what they took us on a tour of when we went for his memorial service, we got to see the cage. Now we did not get to see his barrack room, but we did get to see the cage. And then they showed us some of the weapons and some of the vehicles that they used, it, it felt more like a field trip because it was kind of like, oh, you're going to go and visit the fire station kids. And this was what we did. It, it wasn't a time to sit and talk to anybody. It wasn't really a time to get any kind of closure. It was just a time to see this is where Austin was. This is, you know, what he had been a part of. I so don't
0: believe I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I s I don't believe it was any kind of training because it happened over the weekend. And then
0: what was exactly the definition of the cage besides um holding soldiers' gear? I'm just curious. I mean, like, why was it called that?
1: I don't know. It was just a chain link like it had chain link walls. It literally looked like a dog pen, like what you would mm-hmm. see with the, with their lockers and benches and stuff inside of it. But it was just called the cage. And like I said, there was one for the snipers, there was one for the mortarmen. There everybody had their own place to keep their gear. It was nothing that really I gave a second thought and I thought, oh, okay, this is the cage. I'd heard about the cage, but they've used all of my questions. Like even with the, there was an incident where Austin had told us about balling up a private in duct tape and putting a tube into his nose, like a field exercise. What kind of tube was it? And he, the army said, oh, that was, that was practice. That was training. And I said, I, I, again, I've never served in the military. I don't go on many emergency calls, but as a patient, I've never been wrapped in duct tape. So I do question that. I think that's a little strange to me that you would be practicing field life-saving field training with your patient wrapped in duct tape. Again, they've dismissed everything that I've questioned as, oh, it was combative training or it was field training or it was this or that. And I do believe that anybody who is served knows that's just the cover story.
0: Yeah. And what was the term you use? Balling, balling or up. It? Balling up. So I have done some research. And thank you to Rachel Brummer, who is mm. also doing a story with you. So we, she called the army. She's great. Yeah, she, she was is. like, what is, what is balling? And so we have determined, and do you know what balling is?
1: I, from my understanding, balling up is when you are literally wrapped in duct tape. You are restrained in duct tape and you are rolled into a little ball. And it can happen for your birthday. It can happen for all kinds of things.
0: So I have heard it's actually, and like not to be inappropriate here, I've actually heard it's where they like duct tape your balls together. Okay. I don't know. I was, I'm a logistics officer. We were like, we, our hazing included uh, drinks at the club. Right. Um, But I thought that was interesting. It
1: was Um, funny because I had one of Austin's. Friends. He was stationed at a different ranger battalion and he asked me, he said, was there any evidence of sexual assault? And I said, no, not that I know. That's not something that I would have asked or I said, not that I'm aware of. And he goes, sometimes when they ball them up, they will sexually assault them also. That was oh, something that I had never even thought about. I had never uh, even thought about. Let's uh, not go know, there. It's There's so many things that you don't even think to tell your kid about when they say they want to join the military. That was definitely one that I never even crossed my mind. And maybe if he would have been female, I would have said something, but not as a male. I never let my brain go there. So.
0: No, and I would not go there. Yeah. But I don't want to keep you guys too long because I think that is very, it's traumatic for me just talking about it. And I don't want to like weigh on you too much. We are going to move forward with the story. Thank you for telling it. And I'm going to keep posting. And I do believe, I just had a break in another case. I'm I'm giddy. I do think that this method works, but I just want to allow you and John to say anything else that you would like to put out there that I missed maybe.
1: I think the only thing that I can offer is just, if you know anything, no matter how little it may seem to you, please just let us know. You can stay anonymous, we, but every little bit helps. Just help us piece together that last 24 hours.
2: Wow. That, that would be all I'd ask because, as again, as parents and especially as a father, You just want to be able to know exactly what happened. And we have to live with this for the rest of our lives and understanding. So that's... I would just like something just to be able to sit there and take a breath. It's heartbreaking.
0: So to our listeners, if you're following us, you've already seen the photos and you already um, know that you want to come forward. So again, just another plug. um, You can reach out to the Stump family. You can reach out to Chelsea. We're all here. We will continue to drive this home. And then we will be doing some advocacy work on this later with the Stump family. That is to come. But we're just taking the steps right now to to put the story out there. So thank you both again, and I look forward to continuing to work with you on this case.
2: Great, thank you.